0: well good morning and god bless you uh welcome back to trucking through the bible my name's colby again and i'll be your driver uh through the scriptures today we are going to continue again in the book of romans romans chapter 8 and it is a, a glorious a glorious chapter uh and i say that because it deals with it deals with what the new life in Christ looks like. Okay. Obviously we are continuously growing uh after we have come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh we are going to continue to grow in sanctification and uh one day finally be glorified. But Paul begins to uh I guess you could say sketch a picture, paint a picture, and show us um you know, what it is that we have to look forward to uh, now that we are in Christ, what it is that we should be looking forward to and and how it is that we should be living uh, as opposed to living in the flesh as we did before the cross uh, and now living in the spirit after the cross. That is after we have put our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. Uh, how, how is it that we go about living our life? How is it we go about uh, walking through life <clears throat> in comparison to how we did? Uh, before the cross, we once, we basically, as I said, I believe I talked about it uh, in Romans chapter 7. We, we used to just pretty much go about and live life according to the flesh. Uh, we just did whatever it was that felt you know, that felt good to our flesh. If something wasn't pleasing to the flesh, we didn't do it. Uh, And if it was pleasing to the flesh, it was something that we prioritized in our life. That was what life was like before the cross. And that temptation is still there for us. Uh, Those of us who are in Christ now, who are saved, uh, it's always there. It's always something that is, is grabbing at us. It's something that is tempting Uh, to do, and it's something that we have to uh, quote-unquote crucify, Uh, but Paul's going to start talking about it in Romans chapter 8. Let me pray for us. It's something I I, uh, have neglected to do in the past episodes. Uh, Wherever you are, whoever you are, whenever you're listening to this, I pray that uh, through space and time, the Spirit of God would reach into your mind and heart and uh, help you to focus on the scripture this morning or today or this afternoon, this evening, whenever it is. Uh, In Jesus' name, Father, I come before you and I ask that you help whoever it is that's listening and help me as we go through the scripture. I pray that you give us clarity. Help me uh, with the gifts that you've given me. Animate those so that the word is clear to those who are listening. And I pray that it blesses somebody, most of all, that it would glorify the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts out Romans, uh, the eighth chapter, okay, or the eighth chapter, again, as I say, there were no chapter breaks, uh, but we come to this point in the epistle to the Romans where Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation there means literally uh, the due penalty, the penalty that is due to the person who has Uh, gone through the judicial system, and they have been found guilty, and uh, they are getting what they deserve. Uh, But Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation. Therefore, the word therefore again, what is it therefore? The word therefore is drawing our attention back to what Paul has written, uh, basically in the last seven chapters, uh, or in the previous writing what is it therefore in light of what paul has already written he's saying because we have been freed from the law uh and because we have been freed from sin and because we are dead to sin and alive to god now uh because we are alive in christ where we were once dead in adam uh there's therefore now no due penalty to those who are in christ jesus Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, it's assumed now that you are in Christ Jesus, that you walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of the sin of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Remember, we were not able to fulfill the law of God because of the because of our cursed state that we're in right we 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 just simply can't toe the line we do not have what it takes to fulfill the law uh and the law so the law was not able to produce the righteousness or we were not able to uh fulfill the righteous requirements of the law uh and produce the righteousness of god uh in in the in our fallen flesh but he says, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Okay, God did this. Remember, salvation begins and ends in our Creator, our Holy Creator. It says, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, and He condemned sin in the flesh. Amen? That is... That is a beautiful thing and something that we should uh, just glorify and praise the Lord Jesus for. Because he came in the same capacity at which we are. And yet never sinned, not once. Okay. Now slightly differently because uh, it was not Joseph who um, who procreated with Mary. It was the Holy Spirit who came upon Mary and conceived the Lord Jesus in the womb of the virgin Mary, okay? Uh and there's other deeper reasons for that, but just for this, for the sake of what we're talking about here, I just want you to understand that Jesus was 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 in the flesh as we are in the flesh in it, as Paul says, in the likeness of sinful flesh, okay? On account of sin. <clears throat> And he condemned sin in the flesh. How did he condemn it? Uh, Simply by overcoming and... um, By never sinning, basically. He condemned it because he was in the flesh, tempted in every way such as we, yet without sin. And then died as if he had committed every single sin. And then was risen from the grave. Okay. Paul goes on to say that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Okay. Again, the same thing I was talking about in Romans seven and the same thing I just touched on. We once walked according to the flesh, but now if we are in Christ Jesus, Uh, we walk according to the Spirit, or at least we're supposed to, okay? It's, It's assumed that we do or that we are striving to, okay? And I pray that you are. For to be carnally minded, he says, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, okay? To be carnal minded again, is to be continuously seeking out that which is pleasing to the flesh or avoiding things that are not pleasing to the flesh, okay? For example, I work six days a week, uh, generally 14 hours a day. The last thing I want to do when I get home is to do chores or do something for somebody else. Really, honestly, what I like to do is sit down and, you know, watch TV, have dinner basically brought to me um, and sit and relax because I honestly, am exhausted, okay, Uh, but I work six days a week, putting in 14-hour days because I have a family of five, and my wife is in school full-time, in college full-time, so I do what I have to do in order to uh, make things work, make things happen, okay, Now, obviously, with three kids in school and a wife in college as well and me working six days a week, things at the house uh, can get out of hand. Uh, So what I'm saying is when I get home, the last thing I want to do is to do dishes or to, to take out the trash or do things around the house. But I would neglect those things being carnally minded, but now living according to the spirit even though it's not pleasing to the flesh, what I do is generally, because the Spirit is prompting me, the Holy Spirit is there urging me to do things for somebody else as opposed to doing things for myself, before I do anything else that I want to do, typically, which it's not easy, but typically. I'll, you know, wash the dishes, make sure uh, that the trash is taken out, make sure it's taken down the road, things like that. And I try to do those things uh, in a way to allow the spirit to dominate the flesh. And this and this is kind of just the example that I have to give you here where Paul is talking about to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So. What I'm saying is when I get home, I sometimes I fight it sometimes. not. I don't always do it all the time. I don't always, uh, you know, bring my flesh into submission and, you know, do something uh, that the spirit is leading me to do. Uh, Sometimes I grieve the spirit and it's not a good thing, but I do for myself and I sit down and I just kind of use the excuse that I'm tired, I'm exhausted, that kind of thing. And normally, uh, I kind of sit in an agitated state. What I'm trying to say is once I go through with, uh, say, doing the dishes, even though I don't feel like doing them uh, for somebody else, after, I, after the fact, there is, there is peace in my spirit, okay? That's what I'm trying to explain here to you. I, I didn't mean to ramble on so long about it. Uh, But Paul says, because the carnal carnal mind is enmity against God, that is the mind that is just continuously looking to satisfy itself, looking to satisfy flesh and not somebody else or not God himself. Ultimately, all that we do, if we are in Christ, uh, should be directed towards glorifying God, because we were made to glorify him. We are his image bearers, and we are here for the rest of creation to see Uh, God's glory and for us to give glory to him. He goes on to say, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. Remember, assuming that we are Christians. Okay, Paul is going on in the writing. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, in other words, uh, if you are in Christ, uh, then it's safe to assume that you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. and the same, the same Spirit of God and the power that was there creating the universe when God first spoke it into existence, and the same power that that uh, dwells in Christ is the same. It's the same presence and power that dwells within us. Okay, so there's no reason for us to uh, not expect that we can't fulfill the things that the Spirit is leading us to do. Okay. Therefore, it says, the brethren who are debtors, or he said, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, one thing that I've adopted to kind of grease the groove, as they say, um, greasing the groove is a concept uh, that I've run across in fitness where, uh, say you want to get better at doing push-ups, you want to get to where you can do 100 push-ups straight in one sitting, you know, without stopping. Uh, it, it's obviously pretty hard for a lot of people to do that, uh, but what greasing the groove is, say you wake up every morning and you do 20, 30, 40, 50 push-ups at one time, and then, say lunchtime rolls around, you do it again, and then in the evening you do it again. Now. To do 100, 150 push-ups at one time might be difficult but to do 20 30 or 40 or something at one time is is not too difficult not as difficult rather so if you do that on a continual basis over say three or four uh, weeks at a at a you know in a given time and then you go to try to do give yourself some time to rest and then you go to try to do a hundred push-ups at one time you're gonna get it's gonna you may not get to that hundred after the first three or four weeks of training, but, uh, you're going to get dang close, right? That's what greasing the groove is. So something to grease the groove in this, in this aspect, as far as, uh, dominating the flesh and allowing the spirit, uh, basically bringing your flesh into submission and, and telling your body, you're going to do what I say you're going to do. And I'm not going to be let around, uh, I'm not going to be led around by the lust of my flesh. One of the things that I've adopted is uh, taking cold showers. Uh, It's not pleasing to the flesh uh, to take a cold shower uh, every single day, Um, especially in the colder months of the year. But it's something that I have, it it might seem silly to people, but it's something that I have adopted uh, to kind of get myself... Keep myself always in that rhythm and grease the groove, if you will, of dominating the flesh and making myself do things that are uncomfortable in the flesh um and not only that, but there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different benefits to taking cold showers that kind of thing that's just one that's just an example you can find something else yourself to do. Uh, maybe taking out the trash or maybe doing the dishes for your wife or for your, for, uh, <clears throat> for your husband, whatever the case is. But you get what I'm trying to say. Uh, he goes on to say, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, a Abba, Father. Okay, now he's talking about the sonship that we have. Uh, we are as much of a son uh, as Christ is. We are the sons of God, or, you know, you could, I guess you could consider yourself a daughter of God. The same thing, just uh, we are of the family of God if we are in Christ. He says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. To be in Christ, to be with Christ, is to be like him in many different ways. And one of those ways is not just uh, glory in eternity, but suffering in this time. Jesus came and he suffered. He didn't just suffer on the cross, uh, you know, in the 24, 48 hours um, leading up to and through his crucifixion uh he he endured the suffering of just basically living in this fallen state and uh doing the things that weren't necessarily pleasing to the flesh okay and uh it it's something that we're just going to have to accept if we're in christ uh to be then to be conformed to his image we're gonna have to go through some suffering. Paul's going to go on to talk about that. He goes on to say for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered now Uh, a little point there verse 26 where it talks about we don't know how we ought to pray and the spirit intercedes for us with groans which cannot be uttered uh that it's been interpreted many different ways it's been explained many different ways one might say that that is um that is where the gift of tongues comes into play uh not in its abuses where somebody just jumps up and blurts out things all the time uh for their own glorification but if you have the gift of tongues, which I do, and you use that gift uh accordingly or within reason the way this it's supposed to be used, um, you know that you I I understand how it could be interpreted that way. Whereas uh you might pray for some things in this life uh through prayer, you know this person needs prayer for this, this person needs prayer for that. And then you get to the end of kind of what you might consider your prayer list, but you still have that burden uh that's not relieved uh you still feel like you need to pray and personally, I believe that it can be looked at in two different ways: that somebody who hasn't had who doesn't have the gift of tongues when they come to this point to where they still feel burdened to pray uh those groanings. Literally, you, you, which I've been in this capacity before, literally, uh, you just have such a burden and the pressure of the Holy Spirit upon you is so heavy that you literally, uh, begin to groan and, uh, how Leonard Ravenhill once, you know, explained it as howling and, uh, which I've done in grievance and, uh, you know, in prayer with uh, you know, basically just tears flowing and and snot coming out of my nose and and literally the presence of God so heavy upon me that that uh, it it had me doubled over in the floor and I was groaning and and crying and howling and I didn't have words to express the grief or the the pressure that that I felt I needed to release so that's how it came out. Since then. Uh, the Lord has given the gift of tongues and a prayer language, uh, which literally is a language. And when I come to the point to where I, I still have that pressure or feel as if I need to pray more without intelligible, my understanding of language, uh, I just begin to pray in tongues. It's not something that I, that, uh, I have, don't have control over. It is very much something I have control over, um, What I'm trying to explain is uh, there's multiple ways that verse 26 of Romans chapter 8 has been interpreted. uh, And I've seen it both ways, both capacities. Um, So a lot of people have questions about that. We'll move on here. It says, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. Okay, in other words, that's the spirit of God. uh, And he knows the hearts and the minds of men and he knows better what's in our heart than we know okay and he knows what the mind of the spirit is in other words he knows what the spirit got the spirit the holy spirit knows what this what he wants prayed for and what needs to be prayed for according especially in light of who we really are inside okay and he goes on to say because he that is god makes intercession or the holy spirit being God makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Okay. Oftentimes we want to pray according to our own will, thinking it's God's will, and it's not. Uh, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly how things ought to be done, and if we have that gift, or you know, we will <clears throat> give Him, give the reins over to the Holy Spirit. He will take our our faculties and he will pray according to the will of god it says and we know that all things work together for good to those who who love god and to those who are called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he predestined now he's talking about the elect here which are us those of us who put our trust in christ um we're dealing with the predetermined foreknowledge of God and God being the holy, perfect, uh, eternal creator. And for somebody to tell me, well, it just doesn't, it's not fair. It doesn't make sense for God to have predestined people to be saved or predestined people to go to hell uh I would say, well, why not? Why not? God can do whatever he dang sure wants to do. He sits in the heavens and does what he pleases, as the as the uh prophet said. And <clears throat> he has predestined those who are going to be saved and those who are not. And that doesn't sit well with with a lot of people and presumably most likely is people who uh, are not saved and people who, people who are not saved and or are very, very either immature in Christ, carnally minded, whatever the case is. Uh, the, the more you grow in Christ, the more this concept of God's predestination and God determining who who goes to hell and who doesn't, uh, and knowing it ahead of time, th- this concept will be easier to swallow and more it'll make more sense the longer you walk with the Lord Jesus. Um, I can't really explain it to you any other way, but this is what Paul is talking about here. Let me go back in verse 29. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, Remember, He's talking about basically us going through trials and tribulation, things that are hard in this life, and uh, <clears throat> and he and, and it's tied into the fact that the Spirit of God will make intercession for us according to the will of God uh, when we don't know how to pray, and basically uh, we're being led according to the will of God even through suffering. And it's all for a simple purpose. It's for us to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, because Jesus went through suffering also, but he's the firstborn among many brethren, Paul says. He says, moreover, or not just that, but whom he predestined, that is God, whom he predestined, these he also called. Okay, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And then the call has come into our life. So he also called. And whom he called, he also justified, okay, right? That's what happened at the cross, and that's what happened in our faith going, or our faith being upon Christ, we were justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Paul puts it in the past tense, it's already been done. We are as good as glorified, we just haven't seen it yet, okay? So not only God foreknew us, but he called us, The call came, we responded, because that was what God predestined us to do, alright? We responded, he called us, we responded, and he justified us through the cross, okay? And he's also glorified us, we just haven't seen it yet. What then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things if god wasn't if god didn't spare jesus his own his own son in order to in order to justify us and glorify us uh i mean how in order to justify us if if let me put it this way let me back up slow down a little bit if god did not spare his own son in order to justify us, How? why would we not think that we won't see the glorification? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Paul goes on to say, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's us. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Right, who can bring something against us? It is Christ, Paul says, who died. God Himself died, and furthermore, is also risen, glorified, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. At the right hand of God, at the at, in favor with God, if we are in Christ, we are just as in favor with God and in His, in his presence as Jesus is. And Christ Himself makes intercession for us. God Himself knew us, called us, predestined us to know him, came in the flesh, died for us. Not only that, but was glorified, and we are in him, and we are glorified with him, and he is in favor with the Father, and we are just as much in favor with the Father as he is. I mean, it's it's a win-win situation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, none of those things. Nothing, Paul says. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay, we see that there is a greater overreaching um, agenda here we just happen to be caught up in it and we get to reap the benefits and be in the presence of the one true holy creator god who loves us and made us in his image and made us to know him okay we just get to reap those benefits paul says for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers okay he's 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 talking about angels fallen angels uh the disembodied spirits of the nephilim that came as a pro- are the that are a product of the fallen angels that came down in Genesis chapter 6 um you know he's talking about those the rulers and principalities the the spiritual powers that are over the nations all over the world uh you know none of those things They may be powerful, more powerful than us, but they're not more powerful than God. They're not more powerful than his predestined will. Okay. And Paul's saying, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. He says, nor any other created thing. Remember, there is all things that were created and then there is God. Period. Two categories. All things created, which we fall into and everything else falls into, including the, the arch nemesis, the, that great serpent of old, Satan himself. Was created. He is not a God in the same capacity that God is God, Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one true triune God that we serve that created all things. Everything else outside of the Trinitarian Yahweh, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, everything outside of Him is created. Okay. Jesus inhabited, he was not created when he became flesh when or when he took on flesh. He inhabited a body. Okay. Just as our spirit inhabits our body, Jesus inhabited a body. Okay. But Jesus was is and is to come. Okay. John 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word being Jesus himself. Jesus is altogether eternal. Not having a beginning. And will never have an end. So is the Father. So is the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to explain to you is. There is nothing. Paul says nothing created. That can separate us. Okay. Not one thing created that can separate us. From the love of God. Of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If we're in Christ, no other thing in this world. God is not going to separate us from himself. He didn't destine us to be separated. He predestined us and foreknew us. Okay? He foreknew us and predestined us to know him, to be conformed to the image of his son. The question of of him predestining us to know him. It's kind of a, a it's kind of a, a mute subject. I don't know if that's the right word, but it kind of just you don't even have to address that because it says that God already knew us anyway. And somehow in some capacity we were already known and in the knowing of God, okay? You know, how you, how you wrap your mind around that um is is that's that's beyond me and you can deal with it how you want to deal with it, but the point is uh, we are already locked into this predestined knowing of God. And there's nothing that was created, that has been created, that will separate us from this love, from his presence. What we have to do now, in the meantime, is walk it out and understand that nothing happens to us but it happens for us so that we can be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus just as he walked on this earth so shall we walk on this earth now that's been Romans chapter 8 again my name is Colby I've been your driver through the scriptures today thank you for joining me on trucking through the Bible Uh, I ask that uh, you share this tell somebody about this podcast If there's other people that you know that are interested in the Word, that want to grow in the Word, uh, that have time to sit and listen, other truckers, uh, drivers, whatever you want to call them, uh, share this around. Share it on Facebook. Share it on whatever platform you use. Uh, And I pray that it blesses you, and I pray that you go and be a blessing to somebody else. In Jesus' name.